0: Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Patrick Stewart returns to an iconic character with Star Trek Picard. Hey, guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. This is one I've wanted to do for quite a while, which is not to say that Patrick hasn't done the podcast before. Yes, he was one of our very first guests uh, nearly six years ago. If you go back into the archives, that's still there. It's a great conversation. It's uh, the audio quality. I was just checking it out. Maybe not so great, but uh, the the conversation was good. We've improved. We've made some improvements in the last six years. Uh, but the beauty of this conversation with Patrick Stewart is that it was an opportunity to talk at length with one of my favorite actors about one of my favorite characters and franchises, Star Trek. Star Trek is so close to my heart. I... I grew up with Star Trek. I watched all the series. I went to the conventions. I was obsessed. I still am. And to get a chance to talk to Patrick Stewart in nearly an hour-long conversation about that character, about the history of that character, about this new series, about what that character and Star Trek has meant to him uh, throughout his life, uh, was such a an exciting opportunity I didn't think was gonna come, but thankfully Star Trek Picard is succeeding, it's a great series, it's on CBS All Access, if you haven't checked it out, now is the time. They're about, I think there's six episodes in, I think I'm one ahead, so uh, I I still have a few to go, I think it's 10 episodes all in all, so we've still got a few more hours of Star Trek Picard to come, and the good news is they've already greenlit for season two, they're already talking about what's to come, there's some teases about that in this conversation, this was uh, just a delight. I mean, Patrick Stewart, uh, I mean, he's, he's got the stories, the perspective, and the voice to carry a podcast like no, no other man. Uh, this was a, a real treat, and I think uh, you'll really appreciate this if you're a fan of of Star Trek and, or of just of great acting. Um, you're going to enjoy this chat with Patrick Stewart. Um, other things to mention? Well... <sighs> There's a lot of good TV out there, guys. I caught up on a lot of stuff. I think I mentioned Hunters on the last podcast. I've now uh, gone through all of Hunters. I, then I, I switched to the other new Netflix series. So that's, I guess, an Amazon series. But the new Netflix series with Sophia Lillis I really enjoyed. I'm not okay with this. That's a really... Easy watch. It's seven episodes. They're all like 25 minutes and under. It's kind of a coming of age, teenage, a uh, uh, young uh, YA kind of story fused with a bit of superhero stuff. So that really worked for me. Uh, and then I watched some some uh, Netflix true crime because you can't go wrong with some true crime. I watched uh, The Pharmacist, which was fascinating and a relatively short and easy watch. Uh, So, yeah, I'm catching up on stuff, guys, because right now movies are are hit or miss right now. There's some good stuff out there. But for the most part, I feel like right now is the time to catch up on all the good TV. uh, And then like the really good movies will, you know, hopefully start to come and hopefully I'll I'll see some of them. I'll be out at the South by Southwest uh, Festival, which is both a film and TV and comedy festival. But I'll be there for on the film side. So I'll hopefully get a chance to see some good stuff there. So all of which is to say there's a lot of good stuff out there, uh, including Star Trek, Picard and the other TV series I mentioned, uh, as well as uh, my own shenanigans for MTV and Comedy Central. I just did a new one I mentioned the other day with Chris Pratt that should be up any minute now if it's not up yet um, on Comedy Central's uh, YouTube channel. Uh, Check that out. That's a really fun uh, bit of uh, silliness that we did with Chris Pratt to support his new Pixar film Onward. So, uh, that's enough plugs, right? Oh, one more plug. I should mention this because we want to support Patrick and his family. His wife, Sonny has a, a great new album out. We should mention that too. We didn't even get a chance to talk about his wife. That's really opened him up to, uh, all these new experiences in recent years. And he's very proud of her and her new album. So check that out as well. Um, that's about it, guys. Those are, that's my information before the main event, okay? Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to Happy, Sad, Confused, spread the good word, and enjoy this chat with the legend that is Sir Patrick Stewart.
1: Listen, if you've got the stomach to sit and listen to me, <laughs> I love listening going to on you. And on. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, I know. Um, it's your call. Okay. I, I'm, I'll hang
1: over here. I'll be very quiet. No okay.
0: All good. Um, this is the Dune podcast. Apparently we're going to talk for an hour about Dune.
1: I could do that. <laughs> oh, it was, I mean, it was the first, actually, no, it wasn't. It was the second big movie I'd ever been in. The first Excalibur, one was Excalibur yeah, sure. with a John Borman movie, uh, which filmed in Ireland. And yeah. Dune, I,
0: we were in Mexico for five months. I, I would say you could tell from the screen that you were what that wasn't a two-week shoot. The sets must have been it must have been bananas. We
1: waited for the the big triumphant ending when Kyle and me and and, mm. uh, and a couple of other people, what's her name? I can't remember her name. Actress. We were riding the worms into battle. <laughs> these you know these huge creatures that came through the, and we were in full. Rubber suits, rubber suits were (laughs) a nightmare. Just sweating. We put them on, and they wouldn't let us take them off. They said, "We don't know when we're going to need you. so You've got to be ready to shoot."
0: Two and a half days we sat waiting. You lost ten pounds. You probably sweated it out. Sweated it off, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just remember you holding a little, uh, a cute little dog, screaming uh, something like, "Long live Duke Leto!" Oh, (laughs) (laughs) again, this made an impression, Patrick. But I reckon I worked like one day in ten. So I saw Mexico. There you go. There were some benefits. Well, uh, Patrick Stewart is here. We're talking Dune. Uh, that could be a whole other podcast because that's a film I, I have a great affection for. Uh, but the reason you're here today, it's like almost too insane for me to say, is that we're going to talk Star Trek, <laughs> which um, probably a couple of years ago, if, you, if I'd said that to you, you would have thought I was insane, too.
1: I would, because <laughs> uh, this is not the first time that uh, a proposal came to me about re- reviving the series or an associated version of the series or a, an animated version of the series, all of which I passed on because I felt that after seven years and 178 episodes and four feature films, I had nothing more to say about Jean-Luc Picard. and uh, I was perhaps alone in that. I think the rest of my beloved dear friends from from that series would have would have liked to have gone on right seven years was enough time and over the 18 years that have passed since I've always said no I'm I'm, that's behind me I've moved on what made a difference this time was when I saw the list of uh, writer producers on the show and it was awesome um Michael Shaeffer, Pulitzer Prize winner, um, uh, Akiva Goldsman, uh, Oscar winner, Oscar yeah. winner for yep. *Beautiful Mind*, uh, uh, Alex Kurtzman with a great track record of, of work that he's produced and directed, yep. and um, uh, and Kirsten Beyer, who is like the world's leading authority on. Well, m- much science fiction, but certainly on Star Trek. And I felt just to say no to guys like that was insulting. So I, I took a meeting with them on the understanding that I was going to pass, but I wanted to explain to them myself face-to-face it was n- not because of them at all. On the contrary, right. I, it, was, it was a thrill sitting in a room with them, meeting them, but but why? I I... Did not want to return
0: did now did they come to you with from from what I gather, if they came to you with any kind of concept, it's not what we see on the screen here. It's not close to what they what you arrived at. Did I they- think there's very little
1: of the uh, of, of the, the, the first pitch that I listened to about it um, and then they very generously once once I'd absorbed some of the details of their of their plan. I then made my speech about this is why I'm saying no. Um, And then they said, could we just have another hour of your time just to talk to you about some of the feelings that we have and how much we want your input in this. And that without your input, there would be no series. So we need you to contribute to this. And I don't think that was the time they mentioned being a co-executive producer, something I had never been on any project before. Um, but by the time that hour or two was over and they'd all talked, like cause they're all great talkers, um, I i said to them, look, what you've, you've said some extraordinary things and I'm intrigued, but could you please put it all on paper so that I can sit down and study it and think about it and, you know... Who knows, maybe ask some questions. They did. And about 10 days later, I went back to see them again. And I said to them, You've got my attention. <laughs> and, uh, and then, but I said, However, there, up front, I need to let you know about the things I do not want to do and the kind of stories I do not want to tell.
0: That's what I was curious about. So, yeah, were there kind of like stipulations? Was there like no Enterprise, no uniform, no? Was That's there a, a certain list of yeah, those? Yeah,
1: yeah. The uniform particularly was very important to me because uh, you see a photograph of Star Trek, you see a photograph of Jean-Luc Picard. I'm in uniform. Uh, I, I, even though I there were episodes when I might have been in some kind of civilian mm-hmm. or... No clothes at all. <laughs> One of them, uh, when David- how many lights are there? There are <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and uh, that was a wonderful David Warner uh, playing yeah. that role, who, yeah. who, who I had played a very small supporting role when he did Hamlet with the Royal Shakespeare Company. So that was an exciting day for me. Uh, but the there were a was, lot of yeah, conditions, yeah. Um, and and I felt bad about making so many conditions uh, because quite a few of them went against some of the ideas that they were pitching. I, I knew I did not want to create the next generation. It was not going to be a return to the same cast, the yeah. Enterprise or a new Enterprise, because I think Marina Certis crashed the other one. I, <laughs> I seem to remember. Or maybe she crashed it twice. I was going to say, I think it was twice. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to. Um, but at least she got a chance to fly it uh, a couple of times. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, And and certain themes that I, I didn't want to pursue, but most importantly, I talked about how the world, our world today has changed in the 18 years since we wrapped Star Trek Nemesis, the final movie, and also how my life had changed and what was of interest to me now and what seemed important in the society that we live in because always particularly during the third season when gene very sadly and and tragically left us died and we missed him very much but it meant that we began to tell the stories in slightly different ways and with rick berman at the helm and the writers that he had we were we were able to reflect more of our present day because it's one of the things about science fiction that uh, for me, anyway, I'm actually not a science fiction fan. This, this is now most commonly known, but I'm still a little uneasy about it. It's okay. It. You can say it loud and proud. We, we embrace you nonetheless. <laughs> um, I, it, 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 when science fiction reflects the present time, as well, so that we can say, yes, the future might be different, but there are still issues today yeah. that might still be issues in 20 years time or 300 years time. And and that I've always found fascinating. You know, I, being for many years a Shakespearean actor, again and again on the rehearsal room floor those of us who were so in love with Shakespeare and the Royal Shakespeare Company, we would say, my God, this, this, this reads as if it was written today, right. you know? And, and, that's, and that's one of the things we always thought was so remarkable about Shakespeare, that he was writing for a, a, a 16th, 17th century audience. But the things he was writing about we're contemporary, but yeah, the 20th Human nature century.
0: doesn't change, and yes. No, it does. And I think I, you, you, you hit upon two of the things that I think are very clever, of what you guys have done on, on Picard. You allude to the fact that it's reflecting our times, and yes, the Federation is not the Federation that we remember. It's more of an isolationist body, and it's dealing with uh, refugee and crises. Is not Starfleet. Exactly. Either. Um, and then the other aspect that you also allude to is, I mean, this came after Logan. And I think that's the last time I spoke to you, you and Hugh for Logan. And I don't think it's any coincidence that between Logan and Picard, we're seeing arguably two of your, you know, most recognizable characters now dealing with age and dealing with in a real, in a truly realistic fashion, much more than we're accustomed to in these kind of genre pieces. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess, does did the experience on Logan inform a bit of how you approached this one or what you wanted to see in this one?
1: Massively.
0: In fact, um,
1: I, I talked at length about Logan. All, all of our associate producer writers had seen it and they knew what I was talking about. But I um, was able to articulate to them why Logan became the most important element of the X-Men franchise for, I think, both you as well as myself. Yeah. Um, here were these two characters. We we had got to know so well. And, and how they lived and what was important to them, how their lives were structured. All abandoned, all thrown away. The world was different. I mean, there was uh, Logan, Wolverine, driving around in a... Shitty, dirty old limo in in, in Santa Fe, yep. uh, and uh, uh, and Juarez, and 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 he he was only doing it so he could keep Charles Xavier in medications which were expensive, and and there was Charles Xavier in this nasty old wheelchair, living apparently on an upside down, <laughs> down oil tank, <laughs> so far as we could tell, covered in rust and right. dirt, and. Out of his mind. Crazy, r- r- ranting, children's nursery rhymes and and jingles that he'd watched on television. Because, yeah, there was a little black and white TV in the oil tank. And also dangerous, unpredictable and uh physically, although he was handicapped, very handicapped physically. Nevertheless, there was a kind of... A lack of control. A lack of of control, a a rage, a fury that was out of control in him. And uh, so I I talked about this and I said, look, I am not asking you to write um, another Logan for Next Generation, but I'm telling you, that these were the elements that drew me back so enthusiastically to what became, for Hugh and myself, our last, uh, our last outing in, uh, in in X-Men.
0: Well, the idea of taking risks too, and both risks thematically and aesthetically. I mean, I think that's also an important choice that Logan looked different than any X-Men film, and Picard doesn't. It's not the warm next-generation glow that we felt. It's not a safe environment. As as edgy as next-gen could get, it was kind of always very... It it felt like home to the audience, I feel like.
1: the the Enterprise was a home. Yeah. And the crew were a family, a family who cared deeply about one another, as well as the world and the galaxy and other galaxies outside. Um, But I, I... the, the The thrill for me was watching Alex and Michael and the kever and, and, and Kirsten take on board in a in a in a an excited and stimula, stim, stimulated way the kind of things that I had been talking about yeah. and you know it it was evident from the opening shots of the of the series that that was how it was going to be here we had a a man, yeah, living on his beautiful vineyard back in France, uh, growing grapes, making wine, being looked after by two gorgeous people who just happened to be Romulan, which there was a, already there was a huge uh, contrast there mm-hmm. to the relationship we'd had with Romulans in the past. And, uh, and yet he was clearly not happy. Uh, uh, I, the, there was a scene which we which never quite made it into the opening of the film, where I was yelling abuse at some of the uh, vineyard workers in French, uh, because it would have to. I wanted. I, I don't think I spoke a word of French in the original <laughs> series, um, and and clearly somebody who was uh, troubled,
0: yeah.
1: even disturbed, maybe and discontented with the life he led, and and. Acknowledging that he made he had made choices that were bad ones, Jean-Luc Picard making bad choices inconceivable. So, but <laughs> so that built up yeah. um, a base for us to work from, and it's what gave me a, a fascinating five six months uh, of
0: shooting. So, the reception to this has been. Over the moon. I mean, you can't ask for a better critical and commercial reception. You've been renewed for a second season. I assume you guys are probably hard at work already and cracking the story of the second season. We are. Um, so I guess talk to me. This this has to feel like a much different kind of experience than than Next Gen in, in virtually every respect. You're you're at a different stage of your life, you have different wants and needs and interests. Um, what surprised you about sort of this journey, the reception? Is it, has it gone sort of according to your best laid plans or has it surprised you in some ways?
1: We knew that we were taking risks. And I think that was one of the reasons why in the original pitch that I heard, uh, there were overlaps with next generation. And I think that was because they seriously felt that without those overlaps, we might not make it as a, as a new look at Star Trek. Yeah. Um, we were gambling, and, and yet I was so excited by that gamble in exactly the same way that I've been excited by Logan. And we, I know, no, no let, let me take myself out of this. A, an extraordinary cast was assembled, uh, a, a cast of outstanding talent and diversity because we are living in a very different world, societally, yeah. now than we were back in the 80s and the 90s. Um, so it was uh, it was a it was a gamble. Uh, it was not quite a toss of a coin, but I felt from beginning with the writers we had, the directors we had, and the cast that I saw assembled, I was. Only involved in the casting of Issa briones mm-hmm. um, but I, when when she came in for her final audition and reading, I was there and I read with her because she was uh, Isa came to us from the 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 uh, North American tour of hamilton that that's what she was doing when we when we met her first and uh and i I don't think she had done much work quite like this mm. well um You've seen how that has turned out. I mean, she's done extraordinary work playing actually three characters, three <laughs> versions of herself. <laughs> um, and and the rest of the cast we have are amazing. And uh, already I'm in love with all of them as I was with the Next Generation cast. And I actually, you know, I've had a f- few months break now, but I want to begin again. I am so ready to start, but it's
0: it's several months away. So I've seen, uh, I think I'm one episode episode ahead as we as we speak now so I still have a few more to go before the conclusion of the season without obviously ruining where the season ends like is there is there a mandate in your own mind a thematic thing you want to explore in season two what's season two going to look like versus season one very different
1: and without uh, it's, it's impossible to discuss it without Leaking uh, information, which may not even come about, you know, because one one of my experiences of being in the writers' room, which I had never been before, but as co-executive producer, I had uh, I had sufficient reasons for being there. I loved those experiences. I rarely opened my mouth, but I listened to the dialogue that would flash across that big table in the writers' room uh, uh, where we worked, Um, and. And I was dazzled by, I was dazzled by the ideas they threw out. <laughs> you know, I mean, one one writer would pursue an idea and talk about it and talk about it. And I would begin to, yes, <laughs> this is it. And then something would come up. But if what it, uh, no, no, forget it, forget it. And I would say, no, we wait. Don't. That's not totally <laughs> um, discarded. But that was the the tone. And that is the tone with which I can't say we, because, again, I'm not. I'm not writing, but they are looking at season two. It, it has an astonishing theme in it and um, uh, quite uh, how we will connect to the last episode. I don't really know, um, probably not a lot, but the last episode, uh, it ends well. It looks as though it's not going to, but it does. And so um, I'm already intrigued by some of the things that are drifting across my computer screen.
0: Are, are there other, uh, obviously, part of the the joy in the season has been sort of like, you know, the most recent episode I just saw, we get to see Jonathan and Marina, uh, get to see you interact with Jerry, these old familiar characters. Is it safe to say that in season two, we, we might see other Next Gen or Deep Space Nine or Voyager, or characters we haven't seen before? Mm-hmm. It is uh, more than possible, and um, I'm excited about that too.
1: Uh, it is my hope, if there is a third season as well, that by the time that ends, we will have encountered... Our friends from next generation, right. all of them in one form or another, because their lives have changed too. Uh, we can see that in, in in Seven of Nine in Jerry's yep. character. She's not the same person that she was no, in the series, not at all.
0: So, is, are you thinking about it as three seasons? Is that is that the? Uh, it's
1: it, you know, it's too early to right. say. I'm I'm uh, I don't want to chance fate. Fair enough. By talking about that, <laughs> but uh, at the moment. The and we, I wanted to go back to this something you said earlier. Um, the response has been glorious, and not just here in North America or in the UK or in Europe, but worldwide. Our following, our fan base in Asia is huge, and I had never thought that it particularly was when we were shooting Next right. Generation. Um, there, there is now a worldwide. Passion, not to say, obsession, with with Star Trek and Star Trek Picard particularly, and um, that's very exciting, you know. Um, I, I've been touring a little bit, promoting this, and uh, mostly, mostly in Europe, um, because I, I have a problem with long-distance flying these days. It, it really messes me up I'm with I you mean, don't worry when people say to me you know what what, what aspect of, of Star Trek would you like to have today? a transporter you need that a transporter yeah, yeah. please <laughs> give me a transporter unit I'll go anywhere then and, and
0: now as you've seen in this series we have transporters now that people have them in their living rooms. Right? you know <laughs> I would kill for that. I've always said, I still, ha- I mean, I fly quite a bit for work too, and I ha- still have a bit of a fear of f- flying. I-, I would give up any yeah. dessert, anything in the world, just yeah. to never worry about air travel again. Yeah. It's just, it's always going to be there, but it's a necessary evil, I guess. Yeah. Um, if you'll indulge me, I want to go back a little bit in the, in the history of the, with this character. So like when you started out playing Picard, was there a choice that you made that in retrospect um, really has informed the character, especially over these... 35 years, et cetera, um, that was or wasn't in the script when you think back to the early days? Oh, yes. There was one in
1: particular. And uh, to talk about this in this way would seem to be uh, grandiose and overblown and and self-advertising. I asked the
0: question. It's okay. (laughs) I brought it um,
1: (laughs) up. I I think by the time we were into the third season of Next Generation, I had... um, I had begun to become aware that there were elements of Jean-Luc Picard that actually had nothing to do with Jean-Luc Picard, but it had a lot to do with Patrick Stewart. And I'd never worked like this before. I, I'd always seen myself from the age of 19 when my professional career began as a character actor. You know, I was never a juvenile. I was never a juvenile lead. Mm-hmm. I was never a, a classic leading man type. Um, so Uh, I'd always been putting myself into someone else, but the kind of interest that I developed in watching other actors, particularly American actors who are so brilliant at doing this, but of exploring where a character lived inside myself Mm. and if those two things could merge and so that there were aspects of Patrick Stewart that I could tap and hopefully give some deeper authenticity to what people were seeing on their screens. Mm. And um, I now believe in that as a, a method and as a way to go, and not just with Picard at all, but for several years now, um, that which included Logan, um, as well as several other films that I've made. In the meantime, uh, I, I have been experimenting with that aspect of an actor's work, of um, how can you internalize it and, and still communicate it in a vivid and interesting and unusual way.
0: Why did it take, because I mean, you know, you were probably in your late 40s what, when, when you started playing. 46. Films. So that's, that's relatively late to kind of discover like a much different way to approach the work. And you'd clearly had a lot of accomplishments to then. So you were doing, you had a, a technique that was working for you. What, do you remember why you felt like it was time to, to open yourself up to a different paradigm, a different uh, method? Uh,
1: security mm. is one of the
0: things. Um, and knowing that
1: I was safe. Uh, and uh, an increasing um, belief that this was a job I really could do. Um, my, my brilliant director of my acting school Uh, which I graduated from in 1959, a man called Bill Ross, Duncan Ross, uh, who ended up uh, teaching and running the Seattle Repertory Theatre. He called me into his office towards the end of my two years of training, just before I graduated, and he gave me a pretty tough talk, things that were hard to hear and... uh, I I even thought at one point that he was going to say, so I don't think there's any point in you staying with us any longer. And I was readying myself for that. And then he said, but look, I think you you do good work. You can do even better work. But this is what you have to remember. You will never achieve success by insuring against failure. Oh, man. (laughs) You know, what a... Big concept that was, ensuring against failure. Yes, yes, I went home that night and thought, he's right. Of course, that's something that stamped so much of the work that I've done, being careful.
0: Well, Well, and I know you're a big sports fan, so I feel like it's like the notion of playing defense instead of. Exactly.
1: (laughs) And in fact, funny, you should mention that, but I was a passionate soccer player and a fan. And uh, I always played defence, and I love playing defence. I never got across the halfway line in most most (laughs) of the soccer games that I played, and I was pretty rough. (laughs) Um, I very, very unfortunately actually broke someone's leg, and uh, then word reached me that uh, they were going to take there was going to be a price to. Be paid for that, and uh, that's when I gave up playing soccer. <laughs> I thought my, my, my acting career is more important. Right, no broken bones. No, no broken bones at all. <laughs> and um, uh, I, I I say um, in the street, a, a young guy stopped me only a couple of days ago and said, "I don't I don't want to hold you up. I just want. I'm a fan. And I watch what you do. I, I'm I'm just beginning as an actor. I'm right at the start of my career. Is there?" One thing you could say, you could tell me, and it's always the same thing that I say to them now because it took me so long to learn it. Fearlessness. You have to be almost recklessly brave, I think. And if you can do that, the chances are you will do original work, personal work, and work that will grip people who are watching. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, when you do that and you, you, you actually... I, I mean, there's this there's this movie out at the moment now, um, Deep Water with Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. You watch that performance of Mark's. It is extraordinary. It, it is very quiet, very calm, but very much internalized. And he is living that role. So I mean, I don't think I ever sat back in my seat for the entire movie. I was just so captivated by the power of that performance. So. That's what I say to young actors yeah. because I wish I played Henry V when I was 23. I played Oberon when I was 23. I had some great roles. Oh, the opportunities I missed by not being
0: braver. It's funny, It's it, but in, in looking back at some old interviews, it sounds like what you, always, what you always appreciated, whether you knew it or not. I mean, I know a formative experience for you was seeing On the Waterfront. And oh, I, I can only yeah. imagine seeing you know, Brando and, and even Marie Saint and Karl Malt, I, those are performances that, is, that, are, that are electric, that like anything can happen. Um, I knew that then. So why
1: couldn't I put it into my work? <laughs> I, I, I saw that movie three times in one week. I even took my poor mother to watch it who had no idea what was going on. And, and I knew that I was watching a different kind of work. Before that, you know, it was Rock Hudson and Tab Hunter and, and Doris Day. I love Doris Day. And, uh, and then suddenly life was on the scene. And I began to think, was there a script, or are these guys improvising all right. the time? Because it was so natural, so spontaneous, so of the moment. Why could I not say, I want to do that? <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, got that. partly because nobody asked me. Right. It was not until, oh, I don't know what the year was when a director cast me in a Shakespeare play that's not very well known or popular, called The Winter's Tale. And it was to play a horrendous character. He murders his wife, his child is killed by him. And Dan Peggy Ashcroft said to me when she heard that the RSC had offered me this, she said, don't do it, please don't do it. I can tell you, I have known several actors who've played this role and they've all hated it. It, He is such an unpleasant and vile man. But the director said to me, look, um, this guy lives inside you. This was wonderful, director. He's inside you. I know he is. And with your approval and support, I want to find him Mm. and watch you bring him out. And he also said, uh, because he was also a, a psychiatrist, this director, I promise you that if you take this gamble, I will be at your side every single moment or reachable. Anywhere, anywhere in the world at any time, if things go wrong for you or if it gets difficult. And uh, an American um, friend of mine, a, a Shakespeare scholar from UCLA, said to me after he'd seen the production for the third time, he said, you know, you would have had much more success in this role. I had an okay success. But he said, if we had not felt that we shouldn't be watching, that something too private was happening on stage, and we ought not to be there. Well, that scared me a little bit, but at the same time, it allowed me to inhabit the life of this guy in a way that I thought was
0: uh, worth doing. I want to jump uh, into the Star Trek movies. uh, You got a chance to do four of them with your cast. First Contact, uh, I take it as your favorite. I mean, it's most Star Trek okay. fans' favorite. It's it's, yes. a, it's a, It just works. So what do, you, what do you think worked about First Contact? What was the right call in that one that, that elevated it above the three others, you think?
1: Frakes directing it? Yeah. Uh, he's a terrific director. And he creates an atmosphere on the set, which actually brings about exactly what I've been talking about just now. Right. Um, and also, we have so much fun. And... You know until I worked with these people on Star Trek, I didn't know that acting could be fun <laughs> as well. I thought it was deadly serious you know and and you don't you don't have a good time right. you know you that means you're doing it wrong yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> you must be um i i and i I loved what happened to Picard in that and that there was an opportunity to examine him in conditions under circumstances
0: that we'd never seen before, right also had the opportunity to you know sometimes i feel like it's difficult at least it used to be maybe back in the day to attract kind of like a certain caliber of actor to star trek i think to some it probably felt like an albatross it felt like something that didn't wasn't worthy of them and in that film you were fortunate enough to get Alfrey and and james cromwell oh so fortunate and and again that was that was jonathan who brought who
1: wanted those actors and brought he had worked yeah. with alfra before and brought her in and she was fantastic as was james together, yeah. um it's. Um...
0: Yeah, like, have you ever had to? I'm curious, like, from your position, have you ever gone out to try to convince actors that were hemming and hawing or a, a named director that you were considering for one of the Next Generation movies? Did you ever try to convince anybody to get involved and who might have had a Star Trek prejudice, a so worry that it was going to. No.
1: No. Uh, I, I was dismayed when, when we were making the movies that my suggestions about directors were on the whole not received well. Mm. Um, there were directors I'd, I'd, I'd worked with in the past. Uh, I, I mean, David Lynch was one of them. Uh, and, and you, did you suggest David Lynch? I did, yeah. Oh, yeah, my yeah, God. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, was there one particular film that, that he would have been up for? Or?
1: I, I think that would have been number three.
0: So insurrection. Uh, yes, yeah. I think that was it. Um, I would like to see. I mean, with respect to Jonathan, I would love to see a David Lynch Star Trek insurrection. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Me too. Uh, I'm. Uh, I I love his work. It's yeah. extraordinary. But um, there was only one instance where something like that happened, but it happened the other way around. Um, I uh, we had wrapped. Uh, nemesis, mm-hmm. Star Trek was behind me. Um, I had done this this movie, Jeffrey. When I said to my agent, "Just bring me something as far away from Star Trek as possible. Yeah. No space, no suits, no uniforms." And 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 this wonderful script of Jeffrey turned up, and I loved that so much. But then there was a, the role I was pursuing. in a a very good movie, which had an outstanding director attached to it. And it was a smallish supporting role, but I'd read the script and I thought, this is for me. So I finally got in to see the director. And Oh, God, it was a challenge getting in to see him. And we we met, and the meeting was very pleasant. And he said, finally, he said, look, I I like your work. You're a good actor. But why would I want Jean-Luc Picard in my movie?
0: So your worst nightmare probably is. not Oh, it can you imagine fears. what that felt like?
1: <laughs> that I was—I was suddenly at liberty to do anything I wanted to do, and I was being told, "No, because you're Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah. That's not going to happen." It was very difficult. So from that time, I have diversity has been, as well as quality of of, yeah. of writing, because. If the scripts are not good, there's only so much that you can do to make right. them better. Um, but something I look for in everything that I undertake that I have never done before. Yeah. Uh, even sometimes things that scare me a little bit. Uh, there's a script I'm looking at right now Ooh, that scares me. But I've got to do it because it's like, it's yeah. I've never done it before.
0: Yeah. Well, and we've talked, I remember the last time you were on the podcast, we talked at length about the way that extras opened up a whole new side of your career. The comedy side of your career is obviously a whole, like you could live off that the rest of your life and enjoy yourself. But yes, I mean, I remember in the wake of, of Star Trek conspiracy theory, you played a couple great villains for a while and then yes, comedy opens up and then you kind of come full circle on these older characters. It's, it's, it's amazing to watch sort of the, the way in a, a career can be so unpredictable. I mean, you, you have some choice, but so much, so much of it is out of your control, too, right? Yes, and and
1: aging is one aspect of it, and I'm having to embrace aging uh, and and add it to the pot of of yeah, of who it. Patrick Stewart yes. is. Yeah, you know, I, I I I I have to. I mean, there you you saw in episode one there was a scene where I ran up a flight of stairs, mm. and uh, they said it's okay, we we, we, we we you've got a stunt double who's going to do this for you, and I said. Please, let me do it just once, and I won't break a leg. Let me just see if I can do it and it worked, worked.
0: out yeah. <laughs> again. The broken legs were on the soccer field the um so in the wake of nemesis so you, at the start of our conversation, you talked about sort of after nemesis feeling like okay, I've said what I had to say for this character. That being said, I mean, I think you would agree with me. Nemesis was probably not the high point for the Star Trek film series, the Star Trek series no. Did, was there, I mean, I've read different things. I've read that John Logan had another idea for a film that involved, like, a rogues gallery of villains. Is yes. that something you remember? Is that I, something that I was? do. I do.
1: Uh, I think he and Brent Spiner uh, were, had been working on an idea. And there was, it, it included, at least Brent's version of it, it included... Um, Every single leading actor who had ever appeared in Star Trek at that point would be would that that, so, that everyone will be brought together right for one last final desperate attempt to right the universe. You know um, uh, that's why it's so lovely that uh, Jerry says in the first scene with me, uh, you're still trying to save the universe, Picard," <laughs> and, and, uh, which is which I love because it kind of stands outside mm. the episode as well because that's what that's how people
0: viewed him. But she sure. made a joke out of it. <laughs> it's so... a prerequisite for a captain of an enterprise. You that's have to, right. One of yeah. your side pursuits is always liking to save the universe. That's right. So was there any sense in the wake of Nemesis that at that time, if I talked to you after that, were you resolute that that was it? Or did you feel like this is not the way I want to go out? Uh
1: I, I was intrigued uh, by John and Brent's ideas, uh, and I'm really disappointed that we didn't have a chance to bring them yeah. to the screen. They were terrific. Uh, Logan is a wonderful writer. And uh, it, it it was frustrating. I, I, it would have been so... In, and in a sense, I think, and I'm thinking this for the first time, maybe taking on Picard and laying down certain conditions of what I needed from this was trying to turn the clock back a little bit to those conversations with John Logan and sure. Brent Spiner about the next Star Trek project and how different it could possibly be.
0: Yeah, because like, during the series, you're obviously the lead of that series, but did you feel like you had some some power, some some like were you able to influence the arc of Picard or the arc of that series when Next Generation was happening? What were you... What were you talking to the writers about, about with Rick Berman, et cetera?
1: Yes, I I did increasingly feel that. It took a long time yeah. before I could I, I could take on board. I, I, I have always talked about Next Generation as being presented by an ensemble. I never, ever wanted to think of myself as the leading man or as the sure. lead character, anything like that. And that remains... Today, my philosophy, uh, Star Trek Picard is an ensemble, and, and I,
0: I was struck by that when I saw it. I mean, it didn't need to be that. I mean, it's it's enough to sell it on your name, and yet you have really surrounded yourself with, and many, as you said, many actors I've never seen before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of exciting. You're,
1: you're going to see them a lot of yeah. them in, in the years ahead. I know it absolutely. It's it's uh, it's one of the advantages of being my age that you can look look at young talent. And see how it is now, but then you you become aware of the potential sure. that lies behind it. And you know, I've, I've Evan uh, Evagoria. Um, uh, he and I have had several conversations about this, and it's 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 with him that I've talked about you know take risks. Right. You know, That this is the opportunity to do that, <laughs> and uh, and then I. I Walk on the set, and I see him doing that as well. It's it's uh, it's there. It's another level of satisfaction of doing what we do. And I'm sure that some people listening to this podcast, to this conversation, would say, you know, what a load of crap he's talking, and you know, this is bullshit. Another instance of actors being obsessed with themselves, but I. I I saw a play yesterday afternoon. I saw a matinee of a play. And uh, some of the... Uh, well, most of the acting work in that play was extraordinary. Um, uh, it's at the Atlantic Theatre. Uh, and uh, it's called um, uh, The Story of a Suicide, I think is the name of it. And it's really th- three stories literally intertwined. I mean, they talk at the same time, and they overlap, and sometimes they say exactly the same words, but there are one, two, three plays happening in front of you. Every moment of the play, and it was an extraordinary experience to sit in the audience, not knowing what was going to come next. And um, and yet, the, the 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 courage of those actors taking on something so challenging, because they had to be technically so tuned in to what was happening as well as creating a real living person on um, it, it still remains for me, as I say, like watching Mark Ruffalo in, in, sure. in Dark Waters, um, the most thrilling element that I can see in actors I'm on stage with on in front of the camera with or sitting in a cinema or sitting on my sofa at home watching.
0: Would King Lear on stage be such a risk for you? Is that something that I know you've mentioned it in the past?
1: Uh, it's on the table right now. I have not said this publicly before. Um, but there's one person I want to direct it. Uh, in fact, I don't Really think that I would want to do it really with anyone else, Um, and uh, I I, I sat down the other afternoon. I had to go out and buy a copy of King Lear because I I I had it. I have the whole uh, uh, the whole complete works of Shakespeare as an app, but I I didn't want to. I I needed a book. I wanted to turn pages, you know, and uh, uh, luckily uh, Book Soup. They had a copy of <laughs> King Lear. <clears throat> and um, uh, it's scared the wits out of me. Uh, I, I had some ideas for the first couple of scenes and then it got into the big stuff, the the, the, the verbal battles, the, the, the storm on the moor, the tearing off of all his clothes. And went, oh, man. <laughs> um, but I think I'll... I'll, I'll have to do it because um, if I don't, you know, how am I going to live with myself after <laughs> that? And and be, we've had a lot of great King Lear's. My, my dear buddy Ian McCallan, sure. uh did, gave his second King Lear yeah. um, last year and it was extraordinary. Um, and Glenda Jackson. That's, that's right. That's recently right. played King Lear. Uh, oh, and I didn't see it and I wanted to see it so much. So, um, I got to find the right place, the right location and the right, you know, that's why there is this one director who I worked with several times on both film and stage. And, uh, he, he is, uh, brilliant and I I know that I would
0: be safe with him. We're keeping that name under wraps for now. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) You've given enough of yourself to me today. It's okay. Um, Now, wait, have we lost you from New York for a bit? Because Picard, as great as Picard is, it doesn't shoot here, clearly. You're not shooting that in Brooklyn. So do you you still consider yourself a New Yorker? What's the plan? Um,
1: Well, we have recently bought a house in Los Angeles.
0: Patrick, no!
1: I know, but um, we are still living. We have our apartment in Brooklyn. Okay. I love Brooklyn. Oh, God, what an extraordinary place to to be living. But... um, uh it, it, at the moment work is focusing much more on yeah. the west coast than it is it is here, and I have to say the relief with which I stepped out of doors into Brooklyn this morning to find that the temperature was going to be fifty eight today and not thirty four or whatever it had been <laughs> or with you know with the wind impacted it are going to be down in the twenties because of 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 my age uh I've got to think that California might just take a little more care of me
0: than perhaps Brooklyn. If California allows you to do more great work for us, for you to entertain us more and live a happier life, then I I guess I support it. But I'm I'm crying a little bit inside. Lastly, and I'll, I'll let you go, but a couple of collaborators that you've worked with in recent years, um, are, is there any chance have you talked to, about collaborating with, I'd love to see you and McAvoy work on something together, or are you and Hugh in a different capacity? Oh, I have a project for Hugh. Yeah. Yep. And theater I, or film? Theater.
1: Um, and there are conditions attached to this <laughs> as well. And... Uh, uh, but now Hugh is as we see every Sunday in the New York Times that he's preparing man, yeah. to shoot Music man, yeah, which yeah. I cannot wait to see yeah. and in the years that I've known Hugh from when he came in as a replacement actor that's right uh, we were we were on set shooting when he came into audition, and uh, as I've said before he came back from the audition. We'd all met him, we'd sat around, and we all said, what a nice guy. Really great guy. You know, go well. He came back and he said, well, you guys are never going to see me again. (laughs) He said, and then they said, "Um, uh, Mr. Jackman, uh, would you mind just coming back? They they want to have another talk with you. And there it was, the phenomenon that is Hugh Jackman was created. Clearly an amazing actor because uh, he's the nicest man on the planet. I have a project I am passionate to do with Hugh, and it will be a stage project, okay. and it will be on Broadway. But, um, uh, you, I'm sorry, this is very embarrassing, but you mentioned another actor. Oh, James McAvoy. James
0: McAvoy, yeah. Who I know is maybe your biggest fan next to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He'll say yes to anything that you want to do with him, so you yeah. might want to think about it. Hey.
1: You know, actors, all we do, all we remember are the negative things. You know, I, I can remember the first review I ever got because it said, and as so and so and so, Patrick Stewart was barely adequate. And <laughs> I was 14. And I, it, it crushed me. And I remembered the very words from the review <laughs> barely adequate. Um, John McAvoy was doing an interview and they said, so how do you. How do you feel about, you know, stepping into Patrick Stewart's shoes? And and James said, I'm going to bury him. He said, (laughs) 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 I I know enough about James and admire him enough to know that, it was a joke.
0: Yes, he's a madman. It was a was joke, wasn't fun. it? It definitely was. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> he good, said it good. because he loves you so much. He's intimidated by you. <laughs> well, I would love to do more work with James
1: on stage because he's a terrific stage actor as yeah, well as Yeah, apparently Phil. he's just wrapping up Cyrano. That's
0: been very well received in London. And I, I think I'm going to miss it. Yeah, I think it like I can't get there up. in yeah. time. Yeah. There's not enough time for all of it, Patrick. We're doing our best, but... um it's, it's, it's always such a distinct honor to, to talk to you about film and television and theater and, and to talk about something that's so impl- close to my heart growing up, Star Trek, and I know close to your heart, it makes this uh, day all the well, more the, special. The, there is one
1: irony about our conversation this morning, that when I leave here, I'm going to a meeting. And it, it is a meeting about writing an autobiography, I mean, a serious meeting for them. It's come up before, yeah. like Star Trek used to come up from time to time, and and I'm going to go in and talk to, to people who have an offer to make, and and uh, it's it's very challenging. I, I I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm going to listen
0: and listen and and maybe I can get some help. You know? You've got stories to tell and wisdom to impart, as as evidenced but, yeah, by our hours we spent together. It's, it's so. more than stories, though. It's
1: it's you know, I want to do something that I want to write about my family and my childhood. And I don't know if I can, but
0: we haven't even touched upon that. But all the great work you've done on behalf of uh, domestic violence is is really uh, inspiring as well. And I know that's that's something that that connects to your childhood. So that's for another conversation on another day. It is.
1: Thank you very much. I've enjoyed this so
0: much. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh.